0: So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to our weekly happy hour today on Trend Day every Monday. Talking about those topics that relate to the bottom line. Most of us choose things in life because we think they'll make us happy. They're usually things that we perceive that we love. Today I want to unpack an important perspective on the topic of happiness, especially as people of faith. And that is the fact that being Catholic should make you happy. Have you ever thought about that? I'm always fascinated by some of the older generations or fallen away Catholics who talk a lot about Catholic guilt. Now sure, I have a conscience, and when I need to go to confession, I need to go to confession. But I don't think of a convicted heart, sinful choices, as Catholic guilt. And I'm always fascinated because when some people do talk about Catholic guilt, they talk about it in such a negative way as if their Catholicism is the burden of their life or was the burden of their life until they shed the shackles of Catholicism, whether they subscribe to their own version, whatever they believe that might be, or completely quick Catholicism altogether. But it's always fascinating to me because some of those same people often seem to talk about how they still struggle with their Catholic guilt even years after having left the church. Well, here's the deal. Our Catholic faith should make you happier. There's a survey that suggested that religious Catholics, highly religious Catholics, live the happiest lives. I'll share with you that study today on trending. We're going to unpack this because the reality is is that if you are not happy and you are Catholic, something's going wrong. Something's gone awry and we need to figure it out. Joining me in just a moment is Father Tim Grumbach. He is the pastor, or should I say the chaplain, at Bishop Alamany High School in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. We're going to talk about two topics that are so important as Catholics that tie into this whole theme before we get to that study, and that is how obedience in our vocation, not just priests, not just religious sisters, but all of us, no matter what state of life we're in, how obedience can bring us true joy. Again, we're working our way toward happiness and how living a missionary lifestyle is a joyful way to live. And if you haven't really studied some of the church's teachings, I remember some years ago when I was flabbergasted, uh, and I really do mean that, to discover that all of us are called to be missionaries, not just the people who go and serve in a foreign country, not just people that dedicate their careers or their vocations to ministry work. No, we're all Called to be missionaries. But what does that look like concretely for each of us in our day to day? In the call to obedience and the call to be a missionary. Joining me now to talk about that is Father Tim Grumbach, again, the chaplain at Bishop Alamany High School. Father Tim, welcome back to Trending.
1: It's so good to be back, as always. And uh, it's probably always a mystery exactly where I'll be when I get on the show with you. Uh, this week, I've uh, been in North Georgia with Life Teen and They have their summer camps happening right now and about 300 teens just showed up at camp today and they're just getting started as we speak uh, with their their summer camp, as they say, the best week of their summer. So it's going to be able to sneak away and uh, join you all for a little bit.
0: Now, you have been working with missionaries all summer long, and you and I were talking about how one topic that has often come up when working with missionaries is a topic of how difficult obedience can be. And I found this so striking, Father Tim, because I think obedience can be a difficult one for all of us. I think many people think that obedience is really just for people who are priests such as yourself but don't realize as individual catholics in our various states in life there are many things we're actually called to obedience and i want to walk through some of that but why has it been so hard especially for the missionaries who have adopted a particular lifestyle specifically in serving in a unique way through a mission
1: yeah i mean i could share from my own experience at first And a lot of the missionaries that I've been getting to know this summer have been asking me my vocation story. And I've been able to reflect more and more on how much obedience plays a role in my desire to be a priest is that I was surfing so much after high school that I was kind of running away from responsibility and running away from obedience during that time, that when I got a glimpse of what the priestly life offers and really what the Christian life offers, and how obedience is not just a matter of being constrained and, and having to say no to a lot of things, but it's really this gift that offers tremendous freedom uh, that for me, you know, the missionary life is built off of obedience uh, primarily to God, but also that there are legitimately people that God put in, puts into our lives to draw us towards that obedience as an act of freedom and an act of trust that we make to God, that you know, we empty our hearts of our own attachments and desires and even our own plans and trust that God will be generous. And uh, this is such an obstacle sometimes. Um, I often go back to the words of Father Jacques Philippe. Uh, he has this beautiful mm-hmm. book, In the School of the Holy Spirit, and he oh, writes, if we book. can only obey people when it happens to please us, we are fooling ourselves about being able to obey the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit. <laughs> it's so convicting to the heart, but it's been a, a beautiful journey with the missionaries. Uh, you know, I, I spent some time with net missionaries in May, uh, a really good chunk of time with some focus, missionaries and students earlier in July and so right now I'm with some life teen missionaries and so many of the same issues are coming up concerning obedience for all of them so I assure them like if you're having trouble with obedience it's okay you're, you're not alone it, it happens in, in all of our hearts uh, but I think the key thing about obedience is trying to transform that perspective or let that perspective be transformed in our hearts that it's not just a matter of yeah. Uh, having to say no to certain things that you would think would work better. It's not just a matter of constraint or, or feeling restricted from what your own plans and desires are. But it is really a, a matter of freedom. You know, have you ever thought of it that way, that obedience is actually a matter of freedom?
0: Oh absolutely you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because In a certain respect, I think many of us fear or many fear sometimes following what God teaches and asks of us uh, because of the consequences, the fear of, you know, provisions, judgment, any consequence that come. There's so many different for different people. But the perspective you just mentioned of obedience leading to freedom is one that is so important that we start to ponder because When we look at obedience in the Catholic life, it's meant to orient us toward freedom and ultimately happiness. And I think that it starts with kind of redefining what we view freedom to be, especially as Americans, understanding that freedom is for the purpose of something good. God gave us freedom as a positive, not as a negative. We tend to think of freedom as freedom to do whatever I want, to not do what I don't want. And it tends to be a little more focused on uh, the no- of life rather in the saying no to things rather on the yes to what is good and true and beautiful. And so I think that that's where the confusion sets in when we think of obedience in light of freedom. It seems like such a contradiction in an American mindset.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I also got to spend a day uh, last week I, um, or, or thereabouts uh, with the Carmelites back in Los Angeles. Uh, we had our focus students there with them. And so just to kind of spend the day in prayer with the Carmelites and see the, the way that they live out their own obedience to prayer, their obedience. And uh, it's an interesting, uh, a beautiful order of Carmelites. They're very apostolic as well, um, but they're connected to a, a cloistered community as well. So they're very obedient to their prayer. Uh, but uh, just to pray with the Carmelite saints, uh, especially St. John of the Cross, and to hear what he has to say about obedience to the Holy Spirit and what kind of purification that does. And so the freedom from obedience actually comes from a purification of our love. And what do I mean by that is uh, my favorite image that I've been praying with and kind of offering to all the missionaries this summer is that St. John of the Cross says that when the living God actually touches us, he sets us on fire. But we are like a log that's set on fire where it doesn't reach right into the heart of the wood and set, you know, begin to make the wood into the fuel for the fire. First, it has to burn off the bark and the, the moss and, and all the, the dirt that's on the outside of it on the surface. And that's what causes all the, the nastiest smoke and ash. But it's not until uh, all that stuff is burned away and painfully so sometimes Uh, that it can grab a hold of the inner part of the wood and the wood becomes fire. And so the experience of obedience and having to sacrifice our own will, in a sense, to another person and ultimately to God, is that it's going to burn away some of the the messiness of our lives. And that's what it's going to cause the smoke and the ash and the desire to be disobedient. But once we have, you know, the the root of God's love has, has found the center of our heart, we become that love and we're able to love in a pure way. And so I can't believe how beautiful it's been, you know, the missionary sharing with me all summer long, how difficult it's been to enter into that obedience, but how much healing there has been in their relationships. If they let God, you know, reach into that part of their lives and burn that stuff away on the surface so that they might catch fire themselves. And so that's an image I've been praying a lot with the last couple months.
0: That's Father Tim Grumbach here on Trending with Tim Rowan Relevant Radio. Father Tim is the chaplain at Bishop Alamany High School in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Father Tim, when I was thinking about obedience, my mind kept wandering back to John chapter 14, where Mm -hmm. Jesus says, If a man loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Another version of the translation is that if a man loves me, And obeys my teaching, my father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Um, And I think that this is a verse that is striking. And I think there's a lot of theology packed right here. Jesus literally saying, if you obey what I'm saying, literal obedience, I'm going to give you my very life. God the Father is going to give you his life. You're going to have everything if you just follow my words, if you keep them, if you obey them. And there's relief in recognizing that uh, freedom that you, and also I think that recognition that in Christ and in living his lifestyle, you're not alone. And I think that most people, when they're seeking happiness, Father Tim, uh, or when they're rejecting obedience, when they're rejecting their state of life, when they're rejecting what the church teaches, it's out of love, essentially. The desire for connection rejection of loneliness and love which motivates all of our actions because that's what we think that we love and so we try to chase after it but what Jesus is saying is if you keep my word that is what's going to make you happy what he's saying is if you're obedient that's where you'll find happiness. but it just seems so confusing in the perspective of freedom that it almost goes against our will as I think many people would think.
1: Yeah, and uh, that reaches back actually into the uh, one of the most powerful images in the Old Testament that we heard as the the first reading uh, of our Sunday readings yesterday was the, you know, it starts with the oh, vanity of vanities, you know, from the book of mm-hmm. Ecclesiastes. And, uh, you know, maybe more properly translated, you know, Havel Havelim is this image of smoke and, you know, smoke of smoke and that Hebrew doubling up of the word means it's emphasizing it. So it's almost more like you know, to everything is vanity, everything is smoke, everything is a vapor. So it's like not even a smoke that that remains and hangs in the room, but just something that just fades away immediately. And so Ecclesiastes is saying, hey, look, uh, everything that you try to grasp onto and hold on to and, and find your comfort and your life in this world is like trying to grasp a hold of vapor. And that really struck me as this image of, you know, when you reach for the things of this world to find your hope, and you try to hold on to these things and your, your, you know, your own plans and desires even. It's like grasping a hold of vapor. You, you are left with empty hands, but also closed hands. You know, you try to grab vapor, your hands are closed, but still empty. But what Jesus is inviting us into in that passage from John 14 is that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit want to make their dwelling within us. Uh, another very Carmelite image, God's desire to dwell within us. I mean, obviously it's scriptural first, but uh, the Lord is inviting us to still have empty hands, but open hands, right? There's that difference. We try to grasp the things of the world, our hands and our hearts will be closed. We offer God empty hands, but open hands, and he will fill them. And so it becomes this act of trust. Obedience is an act of trust that the that our God is generous and will not leave our hearts and our hands empty as long as we keep them open to him so that's very key is it's not just you know not just obedience and sacrifice and everything like that as important as that is that's all at the service of a greater yes and a greater dwelling place that our hearts become when we are offering them in obedience
0: and Father Tim, it makes me think of even the Old Testament where we have these ideas of obedience just flowing from the Old Testament into the New Testament, where God promises success and victory, Deuteronomy 20, 28, where it says, and if you obey the voice of the Lord God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you this day, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. This is literally talked about if we choose to live in the truth, in the teaching of God, everything comes back to seeing that God will literally grant success to everything we do. And I think that we don't always understand that God desires that we succeed. But our version of success, like you talk about Vanity Mm -hmm. of Vanity, is kind of this vapor of what we believe we want, we need, we love, you know, our motivation. We get it wrong so often, but from Deuteronomy to the Psalms, I think of Psalm 90 verse 17, where Psalm says, Lord, give success to the work of our hands. Or Jeremiah, where God says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for welfare and a hope.
1: Yeah and sometimes we do misinterpret what God has promised to us. You know I was just going over this another image from St John of the Cross where he says that you know God is always faithful and he always keeps his promises but when we're looking at the way he's fulfilling his promises we might misunderstand that. Like even Jeremiah would say to God, you know God you deceived us. <laughs> uh, you know you, you've you, uh, you've seduced a, you've seduced me, and I've let myself be seduced you know, is is some of the language that's used there. Um, but Jeremiah is lamenting his own misunderstanding. Right, that's a strange mm-hmm. thing to say. You know, a prophet misunderstanding. Uh, but it, it was the sense of God had promised to save His people, had to protect them, to bring them you know back into freedom, and it seemed that God had ignored His promises because Babylon was coming in and they were destroying Jerusalem and and dispersing the last tribes of Israel. But then even Jeremiah is supposed to stand in the midst of that breach and say, We are defeated, but God is not. So how has God not been defeated when Jerusalem has been? And, you know, we could only see it when Christ comes to us, that you know, Jesus, even dying on the cross, presents a greater freedom than this political freedom that they were hoping for, but the freedom from sins. And so, you know, we could read these promises literally and misunderstand what God has actually been promising is a deeper victory than the temporal hopes that we had.
0: Father Tim, as you are talking, it made me think about how we're talking about the idea of obedience but we haven't talked about the concreteness of this in the Mm day-to-day. I think many people think, as I mentioned before, of obedience of, okay, Father Tim's a priest. That makes sense. He's called to obedience. But what does that look like in the day-to-day for the average layperson, married, unmarried, whatever state in life we might be in?
1: Yeah. um, One of the examples I could give is one that I've come come up across the most during the summer with our missionaries, is they, they go on a dating fast. Again, it's not maybe everyone's daily experience. It's something that they only experience for the summer or for the year that they're on mission, but it gives them an opportunity, again, to let their love be purified and to build friendships and so it's not just about practicals like it's probably not good to be dating somebody you' you're living in with a living in a van with for 10 months while, while on mission so there are some practical elements to it um, but then it, it just it gives an opportunity for their love to be purified and a lot of them have received tremendous healing but it's you know it's, it's something that they've struggled with but I've offered this like you've, you've promised to be obedient to this. And, and it is a struggle and it will cause sacrifices. Uh, but no matter your state in life, those little sacrifices uh, are, you know, again, like that, that log that is burning, it, it burns up the impurities uh, that we've brought with us into the mission. But, you know, just as, speaking as, as far as daily life, uh, you know, it, it, it helps to, you know, begin your day uh, by making that promise, like, you know, God, I'm, I'm going to uh, try to do what you want me to do. Uh, I, I'm going to uh, offer you, you know, any little inconveniences that I, that I experienced today uh, as, as an offering towards obedience. But then you have to finish the day the same way and examine how the day has gone. That's so key is to examine how the day has gone. Never let the devil make you so busy and so tired at the end of the day that you refuse to pray and go over how your day has been. But mm-hmm. then to look at the moments that you've been disobedient and say, you know, God, I thank you for even those moments where I failed because I recognize them and I can try to do better tomorrow. So I would say obedience begins with prayer because it's not something we can do on our own, but it's something that has to be a gift of the Holy Spirit, a charism, if you will. So Christian obedience, I would actually characterize as a charism that is meant for our sanctification and for the building up of the church. But it's, that means it's something we can't do by ourselves, but it's a gift we have to ask for
0: remember some years ago, I had discovered in high school the prayer of abandonment. And it starts off with, Father, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will. Whatever you may do, I thank you. I'm ready for all. I accept all. And it goes on and on. It's a difficult prayer to pray, but if you really pray it and you think about those words, it's the idea that I remember in college, there was a saint, I don't remember what saint it was, but he started every single day by saying, not my will, but thy will be done. And I try to pray that prayer at the beginning of every day because it's a kick in the butt when it comes to humility and mm-hmm. plans. And if you kind of just start with that prayer at the beginning of the day and then think about what your expectations are and plans are, I think I need to start saying this at the end of the day as well to give myself a little yeah. bit of grace uh, to see you know it's one thing to say at the beginning but then also to say it at the end of the day i think i'm going to have to start doing that especially because i think you know especially being a new mom and with one toddler and one on the way you know the priority in my life what i'm called to in obedience is yes to follow what god is teaching but to follow my vocational call and sometimes that's obedience to chasing after a really dirty diaper that i'd rather not take care of or or, you know obedience and making sure that food is on the table rather than following my own whims like that obedience and really simple little almost mundane tasks for the day to day that all of us have whether it's you know you're a student and you have school to do you know you have the responsibility to provide, to pay your bills, obedience and holy resignation to those responsibilities that we have in our life, given our state in life.
1: Yeah, I would also bring up, uh, especially here at Life Teen, they have uh, something as a part of their formation that they call the three poisons to community life. And so just being aware of when these poisons try to creep their way into our hearts and so into our community, whether it be a missionary community or it be your family or it'd be your parish community. Uh, you need to call these things out and just ask for the grace for healing in the midst of them. And uh, the, the three poisons to community life are complaining, uh, sarcasm, and gossip. And you know, every one of those find their, probably find their way into every community. Uh, but it's so important to, to name them, to acknowledge them, and just humbly say, we, you know, we're gonna find some ways to combat against them. And uh, you know, the, the community here, At Life Teen, every night, the summer missionaries, the summer staff, they pray a prayer of kind of of that abandonment, preparing for the next day, but also just to receive rest at night. And one of those is like, I'm not afraid to suffer for you, Jesus. And I don't know what they're thinking when they say those words, but um, I would hope that they they mean the suffering that comes with trying to combat the three poisons, that it doesn't need to be a dramatic suffering. Um, You know, another thing that I was just praying with is this image of, Uh, Again, from St. John of the Cross, he says, A soul may ask for martyrdom, and God may promise them that martyrdom, but they may not die a martyr's death. But as long as God has built that love of a martyr into their heart and they've loved as if they were a martyr, that's more important than dying the martyr's death. And so the suffering that an individual is invited into in a community through (laughs) obedience—obedience causes great suffering— Um, But if you're willing to enter into it in those small acts of suffering and renunciation of gossip, of complaining, and even of sarcasm, uh, that's what the daily life of obedience looks like, is to be aware of the poisons of community and family life and offering those as a sacrifice and even a little martyrdom that you can enter into every day
0: that's the challenge of obedience is being open to it being aware of it and seeing the will of god working in whatever state of life of life we're in it's such an important lesson for us to remember that's father tim grumbach we'll be right back here on trending during our weekly happy hour we're unpacking the topic of happiness and how to be catholic should make you happier in fact there's a study that came out a few years ago talking about how highly religious Catholics live the happiest lives. I'll be right back here on Trending with Father Tim Grumbach. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory
1: on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
0: Welcome back to our weekly happy hour today on Trending. What gets in the way of your happiness? Well, today I wanna talk about how sometimes people blame their Catholic faith for getting in the way of their happiness, but studies show that in fact, if you're happy and you're really religious, that should lead to you being one of the happiest people out there. A study came out showing that highly religious Catholics are some of the happiest people. Want to weigh in on the conversation? The number is 888 914 9149. Father Tim Grumbach is joining me now. I'm going to unpack this study and talk about how if we're not happy and we're Catholic, something's going wrong. We need to figure it out. Part of that has to do with the church's calling to be missionaries. Father Tim Grumbach serves as the chaplain at Bishop Alamany High School in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, as well as serving a number of missionary groups from life to focused, net ministries, many working with our youth and others, including many of our religious sisters as well from the Carmelites and other orders. Father Tim, One of the things you and I were talking about earlier is how there's a joy to living a missionary life, lifestyle, and how it's not just for people who sell all their belongings and move to a different country or become a missionary. The missionary work is a part of every single one of our calls. Can we link how we're all called to discover that missionary spirit and how that does bring true joy?
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm spending time with some of the some of the most joyful people that I know while I'm here uh, at Cove Crest in Georgia with Life Teen. Uh, we actually spent the day away from camp yesterday. Uh, it was one of the full-time missionaries' birthdays yesterday. And so we we went into Atlanta. We went to the Georgia Aquarium. And we all wanted to go see the dolphin show. And we realized, oh, man, we can't we can't get in because we don't have reservations. But then they started letting everyone in once all the reservation people got in and, and I know you, you know the only fish. seats that were left were in the splash zone so we were like <laughs> right up front right by the tank and we we're like well this is the spot and we were so stoked that we were about to get splashed by some dolphins and you know the, the dolphins are doing their tricks and, and we're like like more excited to be there than like all the little kids and so they were probably like we've never seen like 20 young adults get up in this splash zone and just be so joyful. Like we're dancing to like Van Halen's jump while the dolphins are jumping. And it's just like, <laughs> there's so much happiness flowing from this group of missionaries that it was like contagious even to me. And I, I hope the people around us had more fun because we were there as well. And honestly, I hope that they could like tell there was something different about us. That you know, the the missionaries are out in the wild now, and uh, that they could be like these people must be Christians, these people must be Catholics because they're having so much fun with this. That's my hope of what people saw instead of a bunch of young, a bunch of wild, weird young adults who just love dolphin shows. And so that's what I was thinking of when I mentioned that you know the missionaries are some of the joyful, most joyful people I know, and we have a lot to learn from people who have. Given up everything, even if it's just for the summer or just for the year or or for the whole lives, uh, that everybody has something to learn from the joy that they bring into public spaces. You know, a dance party almost broke out right in the middle of the uh, the Georgia Aquarium because the missionaries were were there and some music came on. So it's you know maybe we just forget we are not at camp at the moment. But uh, I I hope that we could all learn something more from these missionaries who take it to heart that we can't give what we haven't first received and their time as missionaries is not just about serving and pouring themselves out. Like They have to receive something before they can pour themselves out, but ultimately they want to give more than they get. And again, that keeps going back. We can't give what we haven't first received. So I think that would be the first and most important lesson that we could all learn from missionaries about how to live happier lives is knowing that we can't pour anything out if, we ha- if God hasn't first poured himself into us.
0: My undergraduate degree, Father Tim, uh, had an emphasis in the new evangelization. I went to John Paul, the great Catholic mm. university, and this is a church's call to evangelize. And I remember when I was in the program thinking, okay, I'm studying the new evangelization because I want to be involved in pro-life work. And then here I am diving into the rich teaching of the church, and it just struck me right between the eyes, right in the middle of the forehead, when I realized oh no, I'm getting it wrong. My evangelization work is not first and foremost anything in the pro-life movement. It's in my single years and how I live them. It's in my dating years and how I live them. In my married life, it's in how a religious lives their life publicly as a priest and privately, that our evangelization is something all of us are called to. You know, Jesus Christ says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. He doesn't just say some of you, No, he's commanding that this is something we all do. And in Evangelii Nuntiandi, Pope St. Paul VI uh, writing on the new evangelization, he preached that in Jesus Christ, we are preaching liberation by living that faith-filled, joyful life. And I think that that's what we miss sometimes, uh, that bec- we are happy as missionaries because we're truly living out freedom in our own lives and inviting other people into that freedom of Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things I forgot to mention too was that at, at the aquarium, <laughs> we actually have a couple of Salt Sisters here with us this week, and they're just such a, you know, so so prayerful and so loving, and, uh, and they've got really awesome names too, religious names that they've taken on. Uh, we have Sister Caritas with us and Sister Mediatrix with us. I'm like, what beautiful names! But uh, but be- what beautiful sisters! And so they were just wandering around the aquarium with us in their habits, and uh, you know, just totally unafraid to look the way that they look because they they really believe Jesus is their bridegroom, and they live it out. And, uh, and it, you know, they, we don't need all to be wearing habits or like clerics or cassocks like I do uh, for people to see that joy that we have uh, lived out in our daily lives. Um, but again, I you know, obviously have to emphasize that uh, you know, happiness and joy are different things, but people are going to see some happiness in us. But hopefully they see that deeper level of joy that we know who we are. And and that's been such an emphasis in my own prayer this summer in working with the missionaries is that um and these teens, right, you know we're just pouring into them that uh you know so often we're convinced our identity is in what we've accomplished or even worse in what we've failed to do without realizing that the only way that we can live and love other people Um, hopefully learning how to not judge them in a harsh way, uh, learning not how to gossip, learning how to love people best, is to ask for the grace to see ourselves as God sees us, right? That's not something we're gonna be able to see on our own. We can't just look in a mirror probably and work it into our own hearts like, yeah, I can totally see how God sees me, but it's a grace that we have to ask for. And so the joy that the missionaries show us has to come from a place which is actually a grace, Not something we do for ourselves, but a grace to see ourselves as God sees us. Only then are we going to be able to see what other people look like in God's vision. So it's a a beautiful thing to um, take some time away to receive what the Lord desires to give us so we may give it away. But it begins with seeing ourselves as God sees us and having that personal relationship with which we can't really love anyone else unless we realize how God first loves us.
0: That's Father Tim Grumbach here on Trending with Tim Ryan Relevant Radio. Father Tim, I'm so glad you mentioned the nuns from the Society of Our Lady, the Most Holy Trinity, because when I see a nun, it makes me so happy. Words can't even describe, especially when I'm traveling in the airport, especially the last couple of years, because travel has just not been fun in airports. But I see a sister and I'm so excited to see that habited sister. It elicits this joy and excitement and reverence for what they've given up, for what they do, Mm -hmm. and all just in the simplicity of seeing that habit. They are evangelizing. And this is what we should be doing by how we live our lives, not even what we preach, you know, not proselytizing, which is always not good, uh, but just how we live our lives. You know, the joy of the spirit of how we interact. I always say it's such a stark contrast to look at things such as the Women's March and how angry the marches were, Mm. especially just last month. Um, And even just the names of the rallies for the Women's March versus the pro-life movement, even the face of seemingly losing for 50 years with legalized abortion, the joy that has been present in the pro-life movement this whole time speaks volumes to that Christian witness of how we're called to have that missionary spirit of joy.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it, it is a missionary spirit. I, I know in Los Angeles, you know, Archbishop Jose Gomez, you know, one of his keys is how do we become missionary disciples uh, in Los Angeles? Uh, and uh, yeah, and I've got a lot of uh, questions from missionaries here like about my family and, and where they live. And, and my mom and dad just moved to North Carolina back in March. And so I'm the only Grumbach left in Los Angeles right now that I know of, <laughs> of my family, definitely. And I've thought, like, what if I what if I went back to uh, the Raleigh Diocese in North Carolina? What if I moved? You know, I, I would have to let the archbishop know and he would have to let me go and, and I'd have to get to, you know, the bishop's permission to, to come to Raleigh. And And, but it would be so nice to be by my family again, but God has just made it so clear on my heart that I'm supposed to be in Los Angeles. And uh, so many of my friends, the same thing, like it'd be so much easier for their families to move out of Los Angeles, but they're like, no, we have a, we, we feel called. We're like, we're not going to judge anyone who leaves Los Angeles, but we feel called to stay here and to let our kids see the struggles that we have to face as Catholics to get to know the poor and the homeless. To, uh, to see the struggle that we have because the people of Los Angeles need to see Catholics praying and fasting and suffering for their city. And so we've become a mission, you know, missionary disciples in the heart of a city that belongs to Our Lady before it belongs to anyone else. And to know, that, you know that, that missionary impulse is not just for people who've given everything away to serve for a summer or a year or for their lives, but the missionary impulse begins in the family and it begins with knowing that we are loved by God and that overflows from us into cities like Los Angeles where it's hard to evangelize, but it's so very needed.
0: I keep thinking about how easy it is to lose sight of our responsibility to evangelize, but where that begins, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I thought that you know this was going to be through my pro-life work and I realized otherwise, and it made me think of how often I've spoken to priests who have said that they'll have women come to them at a certain Uh, point in family life where you know family's growing and things can be a little challenging and often the women say just about the same thing of, Father, I think I made a big mistake. I think I chose wrongly. I don't think motherhood's my vocation. I think I was meant to be a nun. And and then, you know, the priest will usually say, oh, does silence sound nice? Yes. You know, does poverty and detachment from everything, especially clutter and messes sound nice. And then the woman's like, yes, yes, it sounds wonderful. And he said, no, you haven't chosen poorly to just that you're living, you know, that detachment, that missionary spirit within your home. And It's easy to reject it. And I think that, you know, when I remember when I first got married, there was a priority shift that had to happen for me. That I had been, you know, living, you know, my single years. I think I was 27 when I got married. And I've been living my single years. And although I was working, like, in missionary work, I had a lot of freedom to do that. I wasn't committed, you know, to anyone. I wasn't married. I didn't have children. And all of a sudden, I'm a wife. And I remember I said still had the same level of commitment in terms of ministry. And it took maybe four or five months for me to kind of just realize um, I'm getting my priorities wrong if I'm putting this commitment always above The simplest things is making sure, you know, there's food on the table, uh, that there's a nice meal cooked, or keeping the home, you know, nice and clean, or spending quality time together if I'm always, you know, running in another direction. And that changes even more so. You know, when you become a mom, that time to give yourself in ministry work decreases. But we miss Mm. the fact that our ministry work is within the home in the attitude we have when our child screams every night for an hour right around five o'clock when we're trying to cook dinner that's been my month basically uh that you know we don't let ourselves become completely frazzled and just mean and snappish and ruin the rest of the night and that can be so difficult but that's missionary work that's choosing to be joyful uh, and praying for god's graces to allow that to happen in those experiences
1: Yeah, I'm often reaching back into that beautiful devotional book, The Read of God, by Carol Houselander. It's this beautiful devotional book about the, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and right near the beginning of the book she says that some people cultivate this strange thing called a spiritual life, with quotations, a spiritual life, and act as if any time not spent in pious practices or in the chapel. Uh, or in prayer itself is somehow wasted time for the spiritual life. But she points out that uh, you know our, our, the real spiritual life is not separated from our daily lives, that the acts of caring for a family, of making dinner, of mending clothes, of, of doing anything else that is done around the house, uh, mowing the lawn, washing the dogs, that these can all become acts of prayer and acts of worship and sacrifice and obedience and uh, that they are as you know as much a part of the spiritual life in a different expression as spending that time in prayer. And so it's that universal call to holiness that the missionaries show to us in, uh, in their particular expression. But then that brings the missionary life into our homes. Uh, and so just you know recognizing that the spiritual life is not limited to time spent in prayer, but the time spent in prayer is necessary, right? It's, it's necessary, but in a certain way not sufficient for considering the wholeness of our spiritual life.
0: That's our Father Tim Grumbach here on Trending with Tim Ray, unpacking how to achieve that happiness that we all seek. You can find him on social media, Father Tim Grumbach. We'll tag him on social media, especially Instagram and Twitter. I'll be back in just a moment, continuing our weekly happy hour, to talk about a survey that suggests... Highly religious Catholics live the happiest lives. What's different about these Catholics? We'll we'll unpack that and also why if you're Catholic and you're not happy, something's gone awry. We've talked about obedience, we've talked about the missionary spirit, but what else can we turn to to discover that joy-filled Catholicism that we should all be experiencing? We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timmery on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to our weekly happy hour. Today on Trending, Survey suggests that highly religious Catholics are some of the happiest people living the happiest lives. Here every week on our happy hour, we talk about happiness and ultimately discovering true joy a joy that's rooted in God, that's a grace, not just the fleeting emotion of happiness that comes and goes. I think this is arguably why Catholics in particular, and highly religious Catholics, are experiencing the highest level of happiness because they're not just focused on the transitory emotion, just like giddiness and sorrow, that come and go. So I wanna talk about a little bit about this study and what these Catholics are getting right And what we can do to kind of pause and say, well, if I'm not happy, something's gone wrong and I need to figure it out. Some real soul searching, which is I think what many of us are always trying to do when we're unpacking our faith in relation to happiness. So there's a 2016 study called Religion in Everyday Life by the Pew Research Center. And what it pointed to is that Americans, highly religious Catholic Americans, were some of the happiest people. The three things that were key in this report that examined over 35,000 people diving into their personal lives, their family life, their social habits, and more, through a wide range of Americans from various faith denominations, including non-Christians and those who are religiously unaffiliated, right? The nuns, as we know them. I'm not talking about the religious nuns. Well, what they saw is that in this group of Catholics, highly religious Catholics, there were three things in particular that were happening they reported praying daily, really praying daily. And I'm not talking about just momentarily saying in a moment of crisis in the middle of the day, a brief prayer, asking God to help you out of desperation. That's important. That's good. But spending time in prayer and meditation and contemplation. The second part is that they attended religious service at least once a week. And the third was that they were twice as likely as the average Catholic to look to the teachings of the Catholic Church, the Bible, and the magisterium as a whole on difficult moral questions and actually apply those topics, those teachings, that guidance, those precepts to their life. But that's what's interesting is that universally, especially in the United States, there's been a massive decline of two things in particular. Fewer people are going to church, attending church, and fewer people are praying. Not only that, but today only 21% of all Catholics look to the church's teaching for guidance on difficult questions. That's barely one in five Catholics actually looking to the church to help guide the important decisions that they make. And we have important decisions to make every day about how we will or will not lead our lives, what responsibilities we'll take up. What responsibilities will that fall by the wayside? And I think it's fascinating to look at this study and to ask that question. If highly religious Catholics are some of the happiest people, why am I not happy? And if you find yourself arguing that you're not really happy, or someone who thinks you're not happy, something's going wrong. And it's hard to say, but I think it comes back to our faith. Not blaming our faith and not turning as I talked earlier to this whole idea of Catholic guilt and just pointing to Catholic guilt as a problem of what's getting in your way, your conscience that's getting in the way. In fact, our conscience is a good thing that helps orient us toward being happier. Because our conscience, at least a well-formed conscience, as is made clear even by the study that the people who are highly religious are actually looking to what the church teaches, the Bible teaches, with the magisterium, the fullness of the church's teaching what the church teaches to actually guide how they live their life. So they're forming their conscience to know what the church teaches so that their conscience is well formed. So when that conscience, that guilt kicks in, that should ultimately lead and guide us and inspire us in a good way to go to confession, we do so. And so maybe that's one thing right off the top of your head. You're saying, I'm not happy and I'm Catholic. Well, do you study the church's teaching? Do you spend time in prayer every day? Do you at least go to Mass on Sundays and perhaps try to, more than that, to receive our Lord Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, fully united to Him, receiving Him in communion, the life of God living within you? Do you go to confession when you fall? Or do you find yourself not in need of confession because it's me and Jesus and I just tell Jesus my sins? Or do you take to a view of Christianity that is not Catholic? That God saves us, but doesn't require us to do anything. Doesn't require us to live a particular way. Doesn't require us to ask forgiveness for our sins. Read sacred scripture. It's very, very clear that we're called to live in a particular way, act in a particular way, and yes, seek forgiveness. That how we worship, what we worship, Really does matter. The church has, you know, our Ten Commandments. The church gives the five precepts. There are so many guiding graces to help us in knowing what to do. Earlier today on trending, we we're talking about how living a missionary with a missionary spirit, a missionary attitude, brings joy. We also talked about how obedience actually leads to freedom and joy. Those are ideas that are so against what our culture believes, especially in American culture that thinks freedom is so that I can say no to anything I want, so I can choose anything we want. And so if you've not been with us the whole hour, I hope you'll go back Subscribe to the podcast, relevantradio.com forward slash trending, wherever you catch your podcasts, we are there. Just subscribe and share this, especially with someone who you know is Catholic, they're struggling, they're saying they're not happy, and you're saying, this is what's going on. Text this episode to a friend, listen to the fullness of it, especially that area that talks about how we're all called to be missionaries. We're all called to obedience, not just priests who take religious orders. I think that's the challenge, is that we think living the fullness of the Catholic faith is for that nun, for that priest, or that holy roller, that I just don't have the time to live that lifestyle. I even think about how the church teaches us how to pray. And how prayer is one of those three things that these highly religious Catholics, who are some of the happiest people in America, do. They report praying daily. One of my favorite parts of the Catechism of the Catholic Church is that last part of the Catechism that is so rich in talking about prayer. And it actually walks through this five-step process of prayer that is so inspiring to help you find happiness. And also, I think the secular culture tries to touch on some of this. For example, the catechism gives us guideline for prayer that starts with blessing and adoration. That is blessing God and adoring Him. It moves on to making petitions, making intercessions, giving your thanks. And then at the end of that prayer, giving your praise to God. That It all starts with glorifying and honoring God and it all ends with praising Him. That leads us to be humble and studies show that people who are humble are happier. It leads us to be grateful. Studies show that people who are grateful are happier. This is why gratitude journals are such a popular thing today. You don't need to go spend $40 on a fancy journal at the store. Just start thinking about writing it down on a simple piece of paper what you're grateful for every day. One of my favorite practices, especially when I maybe go through seasons in my own life where I feel a little less than grateful or maybe a little bitter, I think there are a lot of sins that we can struggle with that gratitude can truly help combat, uh, including humility. But one of my favorite things to do is to take those rosary beads. And of course, you should be praying your rosary and your rosary beads. But the rosary beads can be a great place to start with that gratitude prayer. And what I try to do is on every single bead, say one thing that I'm thankful for. And just keep going through. And it might be a characteristic or a trait with someone. Maybe someone that's really getting on your nerves. Might be something going on in the culture. Something in your family. Something so simple as the beautiful scenery you had sitting outside today. And make your way around. It's actually easier than you think to come up with well over 50 things you're grateful for if you make it all the way around that rosary. But this simple thing is a refreshing start to step into that prayer That the church is calling us to that the secular culture is saying write this gratitude journal and you'll be happier but ultimately what will make you happiest is god living the life god has called us to as we talked about here earlier today on trending with father tim following all the words and guidance that jesus christ gives us living that life in god is truly what makes us happy And if not, something's going wrong. It's a great opportunity that should inspire us to make some changes to achieve happiness, but ultimately true joy that isn't transitory, but that is lasting and God willing will take us and unite us with our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Timree from Trending with Timree. Parents are often concerned about their child keeping up academically, socially, developmentally, but the last few years have led to the largest developmental delays we've ever seen for children of all ages. Tuesday, I'll discuss with Dr. Jennifer Roback-Morse what happened and what parents, educators, and all of us can do to help support the flourishment of young people again. Join me Tuesday, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.